guys are barrels of fun. And then I just went like total like George Brett pine tar. This is section 422. On the Welcome from the $5 seats, or more accurately, welcome from the comforts of our homes. This is the Section 422 Podcast, episode number 51. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. It is Tuesday, March 24th. It is the late afternoon as we get started today. On this episode, we're going to discuss a handful of roster moves the Brewers made recently. We have some health updates from players who were injured as spring training was being shut down. We'll talk about where things stand with them. Uh, we got a couple of great questions last week from Adam Rigg at Brewer Nation on Twitter, and a couple of his questions focused on retired numbers. So we'll take that topic, and then we're going to transition to a 21-round draft. Will and I are going to draft two teams um, comprised of 12 hitters, 8 pitchers, and 1 manager made up of any players we want from Brewer's history, but there's a wrinkle. We can only use each uniform number one time between the two of us, so it's going to create some interesting challenges, not so much with the numbers that are worn by you know players who had their numbers retired or by a superstar like Ryan Braun, unless you know you really thought Vinny Rotino was going to put your team over the top. Uh, but for some of the numbers that were not retired, that were frequently worn throughout history, it's going to present some fun challenges for us as we put those rosters together. Uh, Will, as we get started, how's it going for you on this Tuesday? All things considered, pretty good. I think that you're doing Mark Loretta a very much a disservice by not mentioning him with that number eight, man. I'm pretty, I'm pretty disappointed in that. Yeah, he was he was actually the number eight that, that kind of jumped out to me when I looked at the list of players who wore it before uh, Braun took that over in 2007. But it was kind of funny to me that Nelson Cruz, for the brief time that he was a Milwaukee Brewer, actually wore uh, number eight as well. Uh, if you go way back, I mean, some some really blast from the past type names come up. Dante Bichette in 1992, uh, Mike Hegan from 1969 to 1971. So it should be a fun trip down memory lane as we try to put those teams together uh, a little bit later in this show. Uh, but as we get started here on this Tuesday, you know, one of the things that happened as spring training came to a halt uh, is that we had some players who were dealing with probably minor injuries and Fortunately, we're starting to get some follow-ups as far as where those players stand. Uh, in some instances, though, I saw some news come by today that the Mets will not have Noah Syndergaard during the 2020 season. He will have Tommy John surgery due to a torn UCL. Um, the Brewers, fortunately, haven't had any major injuries like that. Uh, I want to get an update on Ryan Braun. He was dealing with a shoulder injury this spring. Is there any concern that there's a, a long-term problem in play here for Braun? Not yet. Um, I don't think so, at least. I mean, just because I think that he was a guy that they were going to not really use a whole lot during the spring. Um, a guy who only really needed a, maybe 15 to 20 at-bats or so to kind of get himself ready. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't I don't really think so as much. Um, another thing that, you know, Council had just always went back to it just not being significant. So he, down, he had been downplaying it throughout the latter parts of the spring before it was stopped so until i see otherwise or hear otherwise i'm inclined to think that it's not going it's not going to be a major issue yeah it seems like that one uh was really more of a precautionary sort of rest situation for braun when he was missing time a few weeks ago uh, the brewers did make a series of roster moves 
in the last few days as well. A handful of players were optioned down to AAA. That group included Ryan Healy, Mark Mathias, Ronnie Rodriguez, and David Friedis. And I think this is really just the depth the Brewers lacked a year ago. I mean, Healy and Mathias in particular are big league caliber bench players who have options left. Uh, Ronnie Rodriguez spent a lot of time in the big leagues with the Tigers last season. I don't think there are really any surprises from that group, but was there any one of those guys who kind of caught your eye during Cactus League play? Before play began, I was really intrigued about Healy just because of what he has been able to do over his career when he has been healthy. He has shown some consistent power. Last year, of course, he had the issues with the back and the hip, and so that obviously sidelined him and compromised him heading into the winter, too, in terms of where he was at and trying to field some offers from teams. But as far as when play actually started, it was Matthias who really took a a lot of people by surprise a little bit just because he was playing some outfield, which was completely new for him. Could play the infield positions. That's what he was known for coming up with the Indians. And so we kind of knew what to sort of expect as far as his versatility in the infield, but they challenged him and said, hey, we'd like for you to see what, to see what you can do in, in the outfield. Put him in left field, and he made at least three, possibly four, if I remember correctly, diving catches, which were really nice. And it was definitely eye-opening to the point where Craig Council seemed pretty impressed, and, and I don't know how you could not be because he showed – and prove to them that, hey, he could do something else. And I think what you were getting at, Derek, is an important take on the on the Brewers right now because a couple of those guys, and, I, and you know, Ronnie Rodriguez has shown power too. Last year he, he, he had, what, like 15 or 13 or 15, 14 or home runs or something like that in 300 plate appearances. And so he's shown power. And what I'm trying to say is that of those guys – they could be the 26th man on on a few teams. So it, it's, it says something about the Brewers to be able to cut all these, or not, well, yeah, I guess cut all these guys from that sort of competition um, and still have guys, frankly, that they're sort of discussing or we don't really know exactly what they're going to do with it in terms of that 26th person when, when you think about Logan Morrison and what Arcia was able to do at shortstop. And so, I mean, the list goes on as far as their depth is concerned. I think the the value of having players you can send up and down without passing them through waivers is something that maybe we didn't appreciate until recently. Uh, I think once you go through a season where some of your bench players struggle and you, you want to keep them in the organization, but you can't send them down without risking the possibility of losing them. Uh, the example from last year, Hernan Perez, uh, kind of stands out to me. You know, like you realize that flexibility in, in this case means a lot. And these players as a group, uh, Healy, Matthias, and Rodriguez, especially, they all at least play two positions. You know, I think with Healy, it's the infield corners. With Ronnie Rodriguez, it's probably every infield spot. And for Matthias, it's at least the two middle infield spots and possibly being able to uh, you know, get by in the outfield, if not do a bit better than that defensively, based on some of the things you saw this spring. You know, with Freitas, I think he's just a little bit more of like an organizational depth sort of player where he's probably behind Jacob Nottingham as the organization's fourth catcher, right? It's Omar Narvaez, Manny Pena sharing duties in the big leagues. If one of them were to get hurt, Jacob Nottingham's probably the first guy up. And if two of those three guys get hurt, 
then David Friedis would probably get that opportunity at that point. But uh, the other thing that's really kind of caught my eye as I've, I've seen updates rolling in from teams around the league, you know, there are players who are entering the final stages of, of rehab from various injuries. And just like most of us are, players are in isolation. They're at home. And not every player has every bit of equipment or a home gym you know, necessary to prepare for the season. So players are in this really difficult stage where if they didn't have equipment that they were you know, previously owners of or if they weren't given some things as spring training was shut down, they might be kind of trending back towards the point where they were at the end of last season. And when things do start up again, players who you know were going to be done with rehab might have to actually go through a few weeks of rehab and players who were completely healthy may have to sort of build back up from scratch. Sure. You know, you'd like to think, and it's probably is the case that they have far superior connections than you and I, as far as ability to work out and contacts and trainers and whatnot. But even so, it's like, there's only so much that I guess you could do. Not only that, but there's just I mean, I, everybody's situation can be a little bit different as well. And so you see guys like, I thought it was kind of fun and honestly pretty helpful. Uh, the uh, Logan Morrison video that the Brewers account tweeted uh, just the other day about his home workout tips. And, you know, we've seen that just on social media. Some guys who were sort of in that boat or a couple of like um, high caliber, maybe minor league options kind of showing what they're what they've been doing at home. Uh, because everybody's in the same situation. As much as people have differences, like I said, at the end of the day, you still have to comply with what's going on in the world right now and in, the, and in this country right now. So, yeah, things are certainly compromised. You would think that in some ways guys are just leaning on their routines from the offseason in a lot of instances. But it's tricky, especially with starting pitchers. I think with relievers, it's it's a little bit easier as far as their ability to uh, start and stop or uh, pause with where they're at or just kind of continue along with where they were at when spring training stopped. But starting pitchers are a little bit trickier. So that to me is, is the most interesting one of the whole thing. And I think everybody sort of gets that and understands that, that aspect of it. So yeah, it's so much going on with it. And it's been at least kind of fun when guys like Logan Morrison are showing off those type of videos. But beyond that, it's definitely intriguing to kind of find out, you know, who's doing what and and um, who's sort of being more creative than others. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of that where players are, are you know, like all of us, they're going to be stir crazy in, in the weeks ahead and they're going to have to find creative ways to do the things that they would ordinarily be doing to prepare for a season. Uh, Corey Knable is the guy that kind of came to mind for me is someone who was almost all the way back from Tommy John surgery, you know, based on healing time, that should be the case once things resume. But I'm just kind of wondering where he has to pick up with the final stages of rehab. Maybe he has everything he needs to continue and he will be kind of caught back up by the time uh, we get started again. But Nevertheless, something that I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, some news to pass along. Uh, I know people, Brewers fans in general, are people who probably live in the Milwaukee area or somewhere in Wisconsin, and maybe uh, Summerfest or festival season you know, is a big part of what they do every year. It's jarring to see a big event like Summerfest get pushed back from the end of June and beginning of July uh, into September. 
but it's just it's part of what's happening right now. And I think one thing I saw that made me feel good recently that I want to put out there for everybody is that uh, TMJ 620 is going to replay the opening day game against the Cardinals from last season this Thursday night at 6 Central, which is just really cool because you know Thursday would have been opening day. And I think it's going to hit us in a lot of ways that we're going to be waiting for baseball to come back for a long time. Thursday is going to be one of those days where everyone's going to be tweeting about it. Everyone's going to be writing and thinking about it. And we're all going to miss baseball probably a lot more than we have even to this point already. So I'm glad they're re-airing that game. Completely agree. And just to kind of quickly get to Corey Knable, like just because you mentioned it, and it was something that kind of I thought of right when you said it. Uh, Craig Council was actually asked about him recently, and he kind of said exactly what you said, which was, hey, he's going to continue to get treatment from trainers. Some of those steps will be slowed down even where from where he was kind of scheduled to go to. And then he even said, yeah, he just sort of asked aloud, like, what does that mean? I don't even have an answer for you on that. So it's kind of like, we don't know still. Um, there's no games going on to obviously facing live batters is not going to happen for him, which was his next step. So, yeah, the, those are some interesting things. But like you said, I mean, there's at least, hey, we could we could at least watch a little bit of um, last year's games. And we can kind of think about, too, like what's going on where we were sort of like last year around this time. And that gives us maybe a couple of minutes of happiness in terms of remembering what baseball is. I was just starting to think about my, my latest supply run. It's not even a grocery run anymore. It's a, it's a supply run given the circumstances. And I thought I screwed up because I didn't pick up brats. Like I, I still could have put some brats on the grill and, and tried to make opening day more like it normally is. So uh, a missed opportunity for me this time around. We'll see if I can, I could probably make some burgers or something, though. I have to do something with the grill on Thursday. It's just it's in my nature to uh, to go down that road. Uh, let's talk about retired numbers, though, for a moment, because uh, as I mentioned at the top, our friend Adam Rigg at Brewer Nation on Twitter sent us a few questions last week, uh, and he had two pertaining to retired numbers. Uh, why don't they just officially retire number 17, and will or should they retire number 8 uh, for Ryan Braun? Uh, let's start with the first question. Number 17, Jim Gantner. Uh, he wore that number from 78 to 92 because of our draft we're about to do. I also noticed he wore a different number earlier in his career. Um, he wore, I think it was number, mm, let's see. For two years, he wore number 11. But for most of his career, he wore uh, number 17. And nobody has worn that number since 1992 when Gantner stopped wearing it which is really strange, right? So is there any story behind that that you know of, Will? Because I, I didn't even realize that nobody had worn it since 92. I, had, I thought about it in my head. I was like, I can't really remember anybody wearing it. But to see it completely unused for almost 20 years is kind of jarring. Yeah, it really is. And it's one of those deals where it, it's not a name that really jumps out to you if you're not familiar with, I guess, like Brewer's history. Um, I think like your your average fan is probably not going to point him out maybe as one of like your go-to names as far as Brewer's lore goes, but he definitely belongs in it. It's one of those deals where it's all but retired. I'm not really sure like exactly what happened there. Um, if it's me, I take care of it and I just do it. I mean, I just don't see it's, it's definitely an interesting 
one. Um, and if you look at it, uh, born and raised in Wisconsin, um, has the statistics, obviously has the career for it. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it's about time. I, I, I don't see, I don't see why not at this point. It's, it, and it's one of those where it's like. I don't know why it's even taken that long, if, 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 especially if nobody's even worn it since. I mean, the strange thing about it, yeah, it's, it's his connection to the state and playing his entire career for the Brewers. He's, he's special to this franchise, and he's not very well known elsewhere. Like, that's, that's just the simple truth. Uh, 47 career home runs, you know, 137 career stolen bases, 274 average, 319 on base, 351 slugging percentage. I don't know if it's just like a, a, a performance sort of thing where if you look at it and say, you know, he's important to our franchise, but he's not the caliber of player when you look at the way other franchises honor players. I don't think that's the way it should work, though. I, I feel like retiring a number, unless it's a league-wide sort of thing, like 42 for Jackie Robinson, really is the kind of thing that should be unique to an organization to the point where if they feel like someone has had a great influence on the franchise, they should retire the number regardless of what the stats say. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. And what I also find interesting in particular with the Brewers is, is Raleigh Fingers' number, the, the 34 is retired, which opens up kind of a, a case study for you where it's like, okay, um, I get that they retired it and he's a Hall of Famer. And so that aspect of it makes sense. But when you think of Raleigh Fingers, you don't really necessarily think of him as a Brewer. Yeah, that's that's another kind of interesting one where and so know. like you know and then so the next name that comes to mind is like okay well why didn't you do like you could have made that a same you could have used that same study like case study and applied it to even like Trevor Hoffman where it's like okay he's a Hall of Famer but you sure don't think of the Brewers when you think about Trevor Hoffman so I know it's not exactly a, a, a perfect comparison but it's kind of like what came to my mind it's like if you're going to sort of reward the retired jersey because hey he made the hall of fame and he did have a couple of good seasons for you um yeah fine whatever but i I just yeah i'd be more inclined to give it to the guy who spent his whole career with your franchise who, who posted the numbers that still stand up today as far as career numbers go as far as totals at least and I'd just be more inclined to do that. I'm not taking anything away from Raleigh Fingers. I mean, he had, I guess he played for the Brewers, what, four years? Um, three of those years were outstanding. So, yeah, it's great. But still, I just don't think of a, a three-year guy as a, as a number retired for my franchise. So it's a great question that Adam sent us. And I don't think you or I have the clear answer. Maybe there's a, a story to be written there or to be uh, told there that we haven't uncovered just yet. But it does seem pretty odd that it's been almost 20 years since anybody wore number 17. I think the second question is one where you're going to find some pretty strong opinions, maybe on both sides. I think in general, most Brewers fans at this point would be more than happy to see Ryan Braun's number eight hanging up in the rafters uh, once he ends up calling it a career, whether that's at the end of this coming season or just a couple of years from now. Where do you stand on that, Will? Should they retire number eight? Yeah, I'm 100% in favor of them retiring number eight when it's all said and done. I think his name is synonymous with the franchise uh, for his era, if you will, in baseball. For this time period that we're in, you don't think of 
the Brewers without Ryan Braun, that's going to change. It's it's already changed to Christian Yelich. Don't get me wrong there, but since Braun broke in in 07, he has been the Milwaukee Brewers and people inside and out, whether you hate the guy or if you're a Brewers fan and if you love the guy, you think of the team and you think of Braun and they're one in, they're one in the same in that sense. All-time leader for the, the franchise in home runs. You can't talk about him without the PED stain on his resume. I get that and I totally understand that part of it and if you were asking me years ago when it first came out and the press conference and all that all that was being done in that time period I, I would have probably not felt as strongly in that moment of course but given the years that were separated from it at this point for me it's a it's I don't want to say it's really that hard of a decision either for me I think it's something that baseball fans outside of Milwaukee would be will sort of hold their nose up at it um but yeah if I'm a Brewers fan um I'm voting yes on that 100 times out of 100 if you look at the all-time franchise wins above replacement list just to get a sense for how good is Ryan Braun overall compared to Robin Yount and Paul Molitor uh, Braun is the third best position player in franchise history in according to Fangraph's war. I think it's that alone kind of makes him a lock. I think you're right to bring up the PEDs. And I think that is something that just about fan, not fan, just about any other team is going to remember him as almost as much for that as, as much as everything else he did on the field. But for those of us who've watched his entire career unfold, I think you start to see that, you know, 1700, games just over 1700 games already i think that's made so much of a track record that it sort of overwhelms the negatives in this case which again like i I haven't forgotten that happened i won't forget that happened but he is one of the franchise's all-time great players and if that's what you do to honor one of the franchise's all-time great players then braun deserves to have his number retired yeah and i also think hey i'm not trying Maybe if the circumstances were a little bit different, maybe it's not that slam dunk that I'm thinking it is. Maybe if this was a different franchise, you mentioned Molitor and then it's Braun. There's a sizable gap after after Braun and number four on that list too, um, in terms of war with the franchise. Like it, it's those two guys, then it's Braun, and then it's like okay, you have a bunch of other guys. You know, Cooper's in the mix there too. And we'll get to him, I'm sure, but there's a sizable gap there. I mean, there's a, there's a difference here when it comes to Ryan Braun and the Brewers. So to answer the first part of the question, will they retire number eight? I think undoubtedly they will. Should they? Yeah, probably even even with the faults. Um, just I think it's it's deserved based on how these honors are are bestowed. Now, uh, circling back to Gantner for a moment, he's the 12th best position player in franchise history just to kind of quantify it on, on the same sort of terms. So you have a lot of players between Yount, Molitor, and Braun, and where Jimmy Gantner is on that list. Uh, you mentioned Cecil Cooper, Jonathan Lucroy, Don Money, Jeff Cirillo, Jeff Jenkins, George Scott, Ben Ogilvy, and Prince Fielder. And Prince Fielder did what he did in almost half as many games as Jim Gantner, too. So kind of an interesting twist there. But it is strange that 17 is not retired since it's not being worn. 
let's uh, let's proceed to our our draft. And just to kind of clarify what we're trying to do, we're trying to each build the best possible roster, 12 hitters. We're going to try to fill all nine starting lineup spots where we do include DH. The Brewers have spent some time, of course, in the AL for a good portion of their existence. Uh, And we want to have more hitters because that's more fun. We're going to draft a total of eight pitchers. can be any mix of starters and relievers. And we do have to draft a manager at some point as well. Um, And we're looking back only through Brewers history. And for the sake of this exercise, I think Will and I sort of agreed that Hank Aaron would have been hands down easily the first pick. And his legacy is mostly with the Milwaukee and Atlanta Braves. So he's not part of this, even though he spent two years with the Brewers at the end of his career. So Hank Aaron deserves like his own episode or several episodes, like a deep documentary into how awesome he was. So uh, it's not trying to push aside anything he's done. It's just kind of focusing on the last 50 years of the franchise and trying to build the best possible team. So, Will, I'm going to give you the first pick. You're new to Milwaukee. You're new to the beat. You get the first pick in this draft. We'll just alternate the whole time. I don't get two or anything like that after you get your first one. Uh, who do you want with the first pick? Yeah, I'll make it easy. I'll go with Robin Yount. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get too crazy here. All right. So, Robin Yount, first pick makes sense. Uh, I'll, I'll counter with Paul Molitor. I'll go ahead and just take him as the second player off the board. It's it gets a little tricky after the first couple of rounds because you have to start thinking about current players and what they might be in the long run. But Yount and Molitor go one two in this draft. I think pretty much every single time anyone tries to do something similar. Yeah, and we can't have that whole big conversation about Ryan Braun and then not take him number three. So I'm going to go ahead and do that and uh, take the number eight with me as well. So you can't draft Mark Loretta, Derek. Sorry. Um, I'm very bummed. Um, I'll I'll try to to work through it. Where are you going to play Robin Yount, by the way? You can play him in center or you can play him at shortstop. I guess you can move him based on what you do later, too. Yeah, I mean, you're asking me to give away secrets first, um, so I'm not sure it's in my best interest. I'm not sure that will serve me too well, but for what it's worth, if I have to be transparent about it, I'm going to put him at shortstop. The numbers that are gone, Molitor's 4, of course, is gone, Jan's 19 is gone, and Alberon's 8 is gone. Uh, I feel like this is where things already get kind of interesting. Like, do you take someone with the full track record already in place? Do you take a guy who has won an MVP award and finished second in the MVP race in his only two seasons with the Brewers. Uh, for me, that's the path I want to go down. I'm going to take Christian Yelich. So number 22 is off the board. Uh, not an easy choice because I think I know exactly what you're going to do with your next pick, but I'm expecting Yelich to take the torch from Braun and be the franchise player of this 10-year window. I think he's done everything you could have possibly hoped for in the first two seasons in Milwaukee, and we're still going to have a lot of really great peak seasons to begin this next eight-year stretch. Sure. Yeah, I like the pick there. That's exactly what I would have gone with, too. It's, it's a tough one for you, but I'm, I'm not sure if you saw this one coming because I figured that's what would happen here, um, but I'm going to be a little strategic here for, for a couple of reasons. I'm going to take Ben Sheets, and I'm going to take Sheets because I want number 15 off the board, um, for selfish reasons, but I also don't feel great about the starting pitching with the Brewers history. So I'm going to get somebody that I like right away. In my opinion, uh, I'm a big believer in that 2004 season being a season where he should have gotten a heck of a lot more credit for what he was able to do. Um, if he was healthy, he would have been 
one of the one of the better pitchers. He was already one of the better pitchers of the two thousands, but he he would have been widely appreciated as so um, as if he was healthy. So I'm gonna take Sheets. I'm gonna take his number his number fifteen, um, which I guess cancels out Coop. So yeah, yeah, with Cecil Cooper not being there does uh, hurt quite a bit. Uh, as I mentioned before, just the fact that he's one of the franchise's best players. I think there's a really strong case to retire the number 15 for kind of for both of those guys. But uh, no, Ben Sheets, uh, one of those guys, if you could wave a magic wand and say, show me his career if he were healthy the entire yeah, time, uh, the body of work would have been even more impressive. But I'm bummed that Coop gets knocked out in this format. I think there are very strong cases for him to be maybe the next pick in it. Um, but I'm going to go to Jonathan Lucroy. I think Jonathan Lucroy, when we talked about the all-decade team uh, with Aaron Gleeman probably three months ago, and I think it was back in December, Lucroy's decade in Milwaukee was outstanding. One of the best catchers in baseball for that stretch, uh, a doubles machine, but most importantly, too, a great pitch framer. So you get that added value there, too. Uh, you know, Scarcity-wise, there are a few other viable catchers, and, and now you kind of have the luxury of waiting for a while to possibly take one because I don't think I'm going to draft two of them. So that opens the door for you uh, that way. Uh, but Jonathan Lucroy, one of my favorite players from this era. Uh, so number 20 is off the board, which uh, I know you're bummed that that knocks out Jeremy Burnitz, uh, knocks out <laughs> Gorman Thomas, uh, knocks out uh, Lewis Brinson, who was a brewer for a little while, uh, and Lance Nix and Scott Pesednik. So a lot of, a lot of players have worn number 20, but uh, Jonathan Lucroy easily the most valuable brewer overall to wear that number yeah and there, there's a gap between jonathan lucroy and your next best catcher in a brewer's uniform there's a couple of really good catchers who have had some nice careers who ended up playing in their in the latter parts of their career with the with the brewers but as far as their their peak it, it didn't quite happen in milwaukee for a couple of those guys so i, I luke croy was probably the pick that made the most sense when i went ahead and took sheets but with going with a theme of a pretty good hitting lineup that I want to put together, I thought it was necessary to get rid of Cooper and then make my next pick Prince Fielder. So that way I get three three of your your premier hitters in Brewers history with Yon Braun and Fielder. Um, Fielder, of course, some fantastic seasons, man. 50 home runs, 46 home runs, pretty much 30 home runs every single year uh, in a Brewers uniform. So uh, not much else that you could kind of say about about prince fielder except one, one of your best players in brewers history probably the other guy on the show we could say let's wave the magic wand and, and give him a full healthy career i mean his career was cut short after he left milwaukee uh, with that back injury he'd still be playing you know he, he his career would still be ongoing if not for those injuries at least i think it would have been uh, and the thing i always come back to with prince fielder will is that he wasn't just a slugger he was a great hitter. He could use the entire field. He had good plate discipline. It's uh, such a fun player at his peak as well. Yeah, man. There, I, 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 he was that guy for me on that team that I thought was always a little bit underappreciated. Even I feel like he was just such, like you said, just such a complete hitter at the plate, man. You're talking about a guy who, who got on base for you as well. I mean, I love the guy um, in the in the box for me. So. Yeah, definitely um, not not underappreciated for the Brewers, but I just mean in terms of just overall baseball. I just feel like people don't realize how just how good he was in in those um, 
late 2000 years for those Brewers teams in 2011, of course, too. Prince is 28 now off the board as well. Oh, man. I, I just took a look at the pitcher list again. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to draft any pitchers. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm telling you. That's why uh, Ben Sheets, you know, like, and I just like Ben Sheets. So, hey, I was, I was more than happy to, t- to take him there. I think I got to go back to the well. I think I got to keep taking bats. Um, hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about Coop not being there. I'm a little disappointed. I'm thinking about Prince Fielder not being there. Uh, that's really leaving me in a spot where I think there's one really good first baseman that I actually want to have on my team, and that's George Scott. And I think George Scott might be the best all-fan giveaway bobblehead that I've ever seen. They gave away a, a gold glove one where his gold gloves were stacked up next to him. Uh, and he had the uh, the teeth necklace on as well. It was incredible. Uh, top 10 player in terms of his value as a hitter. Uh, 115 home runs, I believe, with the Brewers. 283, 342, 456. Just a, a really good player on both sides. So George Scott is my pick here. Yeah, I like it, man. I'm going to go uh, Giovanni Gallardo as my starting pitcher. Another starting pitcher. My rotation is going to be... Horrendous. I mean, it's going to be really bad. Uh, George Scott's number five, by the way, comes off the board, which also takes away Jeff Jenkins from the game. Like Jenkins was the other guy I thought about with that pick. And it really what it came down to was positional depth. I think there are plenty of other outfielders to round out a roster with and kind of bummed to see Jenkins go. Yeah, I like Jenkins a lot. He's a guy who another one of those type of players that I think people outside of Milwaukee sort of respect, but inside Milwaukee, man, people just remember him just, especially on those bad teams too, that he was part of, man, he still maintained the ability to just produce year after year. So I have a lot of respect for Jeff Jenkins' career. Um, One of those guys that you knew what you were getting as far as production goes. With Gallardo off the board too, there's only been one pitcher who's worn that number in the five seasons since Gallardo left. Alec Asher in 2018 is the only other player to wear number 49 for the Brewers. So that was kind of a, a surprise. And uh, that also creates a problem because Teddy Higuera wore number 49. And he was actually on my short list of pitchers to think about. But there's a loophole in this game. There are a few players who wore more than one number with the franchise. Higuera happens to be one of them. And I think just based on the state of pitching right now in this draft, and given the fact that he's been the second best Brewers pitcher based on war, Teddy Higuera has to be the pick for me right here. And I'm going to get him because he wore number 55 for one season in 1985. So it's a loophole pick, but I'm going to do it anyway. You could have made the argument for him being the first pitcher off the board too, obviously. So definitely could have easily been picked right after Sheets. I just happened to be biased toward certain players and I'm going to let that show in this draft. So, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Teddy, I like, I think people don't realize too, like if you look back, because that was an era where, when he pitched where people weren't necessarily racking up the strikeout totals too. But if you look back on his seasons, maybe the, the K rate isn't quite, you know, inning for inning as far as, as strikeouts go, but he, he racked up his fair share. Whip whips were low, so yeah, man, I, he's a pitcher whose whose stats would hold up in this era as well. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I think it, at least as like a like a back end starter type, mm-hmm. yeah, probably would have worked out for him. Where do you want to go with your next one? 
I was kind of hoping that uh, he'd be um, Taylor would be there for for me to go with a, a three star, three starters right away. But um, I'll go with Jeff Cirillo, plug him in at third base, and and now now I feel really good about the lineup that I'm putting together here. There's a couple of guys who um, who I'm probably bypassing on the list of war with the team, but I feel better about taking a third baseman here than I do a couple of the other positions. So I'm going to go with Cirillo. So Cirillo actually wore two numbers with the Brewers. He wore 26 and 6. So my question for you is which number are you taking off the board with him? Yeah, I, I remember him with, with 26. So I'm just going to go with 26. All right. Cirillo at 26 leaves a few really interesting players that wore number 6 on the board for us to possibly take on later on. Other 26s in franchise history. Taylor Youngman. There's a, a name that I had started to forget about. I think he's pitching in Japan right now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, who else wore it? Uh, Matt Wise wore it for a season. Manny Parra. Kyle Loesch. Oh, man, Manny Parra. There goes, there goes the draft. <laughs> yeah, no, no Manny Parra. Uh, at least not uh, number 26. I think he also wore two numbers for the Brewers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's available under a different number. I won't tell everybody where it is that's what makes this fun you realize that early in their careers guys broke in they had a number they established themselves they came back they got the number they wanted Uh, so that's pretty pretty fun to see that as well all right so i only have one starting pitcher most of the starting pitchers in the organization and franchise history are not good and there's one reliever who might be one of the best relievers at least of this decade and maybe he'll go on to be one of the best relievers we've ever seen I'm going to take a reliever earlier than I want to. I'm going to take Josh Hader because if this team I'm building is going to win any games, I'm going to need Hader to come in and get probably six or seven outs just (laughs) to shorten up my dependence on uh, some of these starting pitchers. So the number 71 is off the board. I'm really sorry, Will, if your whole team was hanging on Scott Landbrink being a part of it. Uh, That's just not going to happen now. Bummer. Yeah, uh, I like that pick. I was thinking about Hater as well. A, a guy who um, who probably should have been taken a little bit earlier than than I'm taking. I'm probably I'm pretty certain that you're kind of know where I'm headed with this one um, while I say it. But I, I feel like Gorman Thomas should have been picked by now, and so I'm going to go with that. Uh, plug him in, plug him into the outfield for me. All right, Gorman Thomas takes one of your outfield spots, and uh, a number of course comes off the board with it. Number three. Was the for, well, you got you got to choose again, three twenty and forty four. You can't take them as twenty because Lucroy was twenty. Right, Lucroy's gone. So you got three or forty four, and because Hank Aaron wore forty four and it's retired, there aren't many players who wore forty four. So you're not blocking me and yourself if you use forty four. Yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with forty four on that. Um, so yeah, the twenty thing was the one that I crossed out right away. But then I remembered after you had made the loophole selection that that's a that's a thing. So I was like, okay, you know, sure, I'll I'll, I'll take the guy who's one of the who would make uh, an all Brewers team at this at this point in its fifty year history still. So yeah, sure, sign me up. Well, lots of players in the organization have worn number seven over the years. Most recently, Eric Thames. He wore it for three seasons. Uh, J.J. Hardy, if you're thinking back to the the Fielder-era Brewers, J.J. Hardy wore that for, I think, five seasons from 2005 to 2009. Uh, But then there was also Don Money, who I think with Molitor being able to move around a little bit, I can put Don Money at third base. Uh, Played for the Brewers from 73 to 83. And 
comes up as one of the better position players in franchise history. He comes in sixth on that list. So Don Money is going to be the pick for me here. Uh, a player that, frankly, I didn't get to see because he was before my time, but I think he can help me out quite a bit. So the number we lose here is number seven. Yeah, I'm going to take a reliever here. You can find him on um, on, on your television screen every now and then, and I'll go with Dan Plesak and uh, take a monopoly on the left-handed relievers in Brewers history. All right, so number 37 comes off the board with Dan Plesak. He had he had a great career, man. If you like, he's one of those like sneaky careers as far as relief pitchers go. When you think about it, like people, I don't know, maybe just because he, he's retired now for more than fifteen years, but he had a nice run. Yeah, he really did. The players who've worn thirty seven in the years since Adrian Hauser wears it now, of course. Tyler Thornburg wore it for a couple of seasons, and. Man, I, I, I wish Tyler Thornburg had stayed healthy even after he was traded to Boston. It was a pretty unfortunate injury for him. Uh, Bob Wickman. Ugh, Bob Wickman wore 37 in 1996. Huh. Uh, I, I just think of blown saves immediately when I think of Bob Wickman. <laughs> what a trip down memory lane that is. Not the best era uh, of Brewers baseball. No, uh, not to, at all. To put it very, very nicely. I should probably draft more pitchers, but I don't really want to. Because, again, I, I don't think they're great. And I want to keep kind of plucking away with some of the more interesting players. I think Ben Oglevy is going to be the pick for me here. Uh, number 24. Plenty of interesting 24s over the years as well. Most recently, Jesus Aguilar. Uh, Adam Lind wore it for his season in Milwaukee. Lyle Overbay wore it for a year as well. But you know Ben Oglevy, think about all, all-time great brewers, guys who don't have their numbers retired, but put together really nice long runs 41 homers in 1980 and 34 homers in 1982 totally different era and he did it with the low strikeout rate and with a good approach lots of walks from ben ogilvy as well yeah that's a great pick like him um since you're not interested in taking pitchers i'm going to take another one um 48 still available is it not 48 is still out there yeah, I'll take Mike Caldwell and uh, take that number as well. And uh, probably one of your top five Brewers starting pitchers in its history. So I'd argue that I have three of those already. So I'm I'm pretty happy with that. I wonder if the, if the plan here is for me to just load up on the the current crop of pitchers, hoping that I'm right <laughs> about their futures. <laughs> take Corbin Burns or something like that, and just kind of <laughs> hope for the best. It's, it's it's a really ugly version of the the Monty Hall problem, I think. Uh, a lot of players have worn 48, uh, most of them, of course, relievers. How about uh, Mike Dijon? There's there's a name that I'd forgotten about until we started doing this. That was the 2001 to 2003. Uh, Boone Logan. <laughs> Actually, three Yikes. different players wore it in uh, 2018. Uh, Joaquin Soria, Mike Zagurski, and Boone Logan all wore number 48 for the Brewers that year. Uh, Francisco Cordero in 2006 and 2007, another more recent notable uh, to wear that number. I think I have to draft pitching now, and I'm going to stick to the strategy I was kind of teasing before. I'm going to take number 53 off the board, and I'm going to put Brandon Woodruff on my team, which it might be risky, but Will, I'm a believer. I think Brandon Woodruff has frontline stuff, and I think it's only a matter of staying healthy at this point. I think there's a chance that as we look three, four, five years down the road, I think he can establish himself as one of the very best pitchers in franchise history yeah i mean honestly his his 2019 was one of the best seasons for a brewers pitcher 
if you if you if you look at the statistics, it really was, which is kind of mind blowing to say because when I think about Brandon Woodruff, I think about a guy who's just now on the cusp of what he could probably what he could probably be pretty soon. So he already has a season like that that was really good by Brewer standards. So yeah, I don't, I don't I mean he was definitely a guy that I've circled. So I think that's I think that's definitely a a pick that's worthy of this point in the draft and one that will certainly help your uh, beleaguered staff um, with already a pretty solid staff and going to hold off a little bit on on adding to it. But if I hold off too much longer with adding a, a fourth guy, I'd probably get into um, a similar situation that you are. That said, um, I'm going to take a guy who, you know, he, he may not fit as far as like another one of those guys who's, career people don't really think about but he had some nice seasons uh single seasons with the brewers that i like a lot uh two-time all-star and it's Corey hart who i could take uh number one and i could plug him into a right field for me so i like Corey hart um it's actually his birthday today as we as we uh, record on march 24th he's 38 years old only so another one of those guys who's a little bit older who's a, who's a little bit younger than you would think at this point he retired in 20 uh, last season was 2015 so you think of him as you know a guy who retired five years ago so you would think he's in his 40s only only 38 years old today yeah looking at some of the other players who were number one logan schaefer was the last player to wear it 2014 uh, Fernando Vina wore it for a while, 95 to 99. He probably would have been the other player who wore number one who would have been worth considering at some point. Oh, definitely. Uh, but I'm with you, Corey Hart. Kind of kind of the the overlooked part of the the early 2000s Brewers when they brought up that young group of players together. I mentioned you know Hardy and Fielder and Ricky Weeks a little earlier. Um, Corey Hart was kind of the other guy, and he did end up carving out a really nice career. I'm going to take a guy next who was a brewer for a very short time, but he made a huge impact. I got to take CC Sabathia, Will. I, I think his run after that trade, when the Brewers acquired him from Cleveland in 2008, that helped propel Milwaukee back into the postseason for the first time in forever, um, that was special to watch. And I don't know how much that really helps my team when I'm building like longevity here, but even if I only get him for like one inning in our imaginary game, I'm happy to take that because the thing that will always stand out for me with CC Sabathia is that he had a big payday just around the corner and he was willing to do anything it took. He'd take the ball on short rest to help propel that team into the postseason. Yeah, man, that's that was like the first time um, I became like a real big Sabathia guy because before that, you know, he had those couple of years with the Indians, but I didn't know some years were better than others for him. So I wasn't, but once he got to Milwaukee, I mean, like that was just, he shut everything. He silenced anybody who had any doubt in his ability and obviously carried the Brewers uh, for that period. So sure, man, that's a great one. Um, I'll kind of do something similar and take Granke um, just for the same reasons. I'll just ditto. Uh, pretty much what you said. He wore number 13 for, for the Brewers. Something that, you know, maybe people who are listening to this can kind of get back to me and let me know what they think about. But I've always loved, like, the the stories about Grinky. Um, we've done a couple with on The Athletic already, but I've always been intrigued about just, like, what his run with the Brewers w- was like uh, for guys on that team. He wasn't there all too long, but long enough to make an impact, long enough to be interesting, and long enough to be pretty good as well. So I take him on my team. I think the story that immediately 
comes to my mind is one from uh, Molly Knight's book when Zach Greinke was teammates with Yasiel Puig. There was a story about, I think, Greinke throwing Puig's luggage off the team bus onto Michigan Avenue. <laughs> like, what on earth? Like, that's that's wild, right? Like, that's that's like that's like the kind of thing that you you couldn't even make that up. No, yeah, that's 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 a Grinky story. <laughs> so yeah, anybody who's interested in hearing about that stuff for the Brewers, hit me up, and if I get enough people who are interested, I'll go after it and uh, try to piece something together and uh, take a fun look back down memory lane on the Grinky run in in Milwaukee. Yeah, the, the Grinky call—that's a really nice pick. I, in hindsight, since he got two seasons in Milwaukee instead of one, that may have been a better pick than Sabathia. All right, what do I need? I've got a catcher. I've got a first baseman. I've got an option at third. I've got most of an outfield built. I could get another just general hitter. I could just load the DH spot up at this point, but is there anyone who mashes enough for me to actually justify that pick? Eh, probably not. I'm going to take Ricky Weeks in this spot. I think he's kind of an overlooked player in Brewers history. I think... Injuries also, of course, cost him a lot of time. Another player, sort of like Corey Hart, who's younger than you realize, only 37 at this point, uh, closed out his big league career in 2017, briefly as a member of the Rays, spent a little time in Arizona and some time in Seattle at the end of his career. Uh, But Weeks, for me, I mean, he was a big part of those early 2000s teams as well. Uh, This knocks number 23 off the board. Uh, Greg Vaughn wore that at the end of the 90s. Ted Simmons wore it for a stretch in the 80s. Definitely some good players who've put that number on in franchise history. But Weeks could do everything. At his peak, he had power. He could draw walks. Um, had plenty of range at second base, too. Just kind of one of my my favorite players from that era who I just felt like he never really got the credit he deserved. Yeah, it, it, like you said, it's kind of the same deal with Corey Hart. I think some of those guys outside of Milwaukee just never really, and and to a lesser extent, you could say that about even J.J. Hardy, who had a, a couple of nice seasons too. Not in the same category, I feel like, as those two guys as far as with the bat consistently. But yeah, I think there's a group of those guys who sort of got overlooked by uh, the presence of Fielder and Braun in that same lineup. So, no, and even Lucroy for that matter. Um, uh, toward the, toward the toward the later years, at least. Um, but yeah. Uh, Looking at stuff that I need here, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Vaughn uh, since you mentioned him. I know I can't take a couple of those numbers, uh, but at this point, I would like a little bit more power to already a powerful lineup for me. And I believe he came up with a number that we have. I don't think we, we have not taken eleven yet, right? So I could use that the number that he came up with. Eleven is fair game. A lot of good players have worn eleven. Uh, Dave Nilsson. Gary Sheffield wore it for a couple of years. Richie Sexton, <laughs> Lyle Overbay also wore 11. Uh, let's see. Mike Moustakis wore it last year as well. Yeah, it's a good it's it's a good list. I just feel like uh, Greg Vaughn's body of work, though, uh, surpasses all of those guys on the list. I mean, he not, not only did he have a great career elsewhere, but he posted some big numbers with the Brewers, which matters in the context of our draft here. So I like it. Um, I'm pretty confident in it as well. All right, so Greg Vaughn and sure up my outfield, 11. by the way. Yeah, so I, I, it looks like you're going to play. You play Robin Young at short, then. Yeah, that's correct. 
All right, so that's the the adjustment that you're making there. Hey, you could also put Vaughn at DH. So yeah, that, that's why I like having the DH spot for this too, just to get the extra hitters involved. I need a center fielder, and since I'm on a kick right now of drafting players who I feel were really kind of overlooked, I think this is the most overlooked modern Brewer. I'm gonna go with Carlos Gomez. It was a quick peek. But for a couple of seasons, he was playing at a near star level. At a minimum, you would always get gold glove defense. You'd always get max effort. Uh, as much energy as you could want a player to have. Probably at times too much energy. But uh, I think it was really odd because Carlos Gomez's peak overlapped the time that Hank the Dog walked into the facility at Maryvale and became... Uh, loved by Brewers fans, which, you know, I love dogs. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> I think people were so into Hank K9 jerseys that they forgot to buy Gomez 27 jerseys. And something about that always bothered me because Gomez was such a good player and such a fun player to watch as well. Yeah, I grew up a Mets fan, Derek. So <laughs> Gomez, my relationship with Gomez will always be a little bit weird. So <laughs> I'll let you have him. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> uh, that said, um, after we spent so much time talking about him, we're this late and uh, nobody's picked him. So I might as well. I'll, I'll go with Raleigh Fingers. All right. Adding a piece to that bullpen and uh, knocking number 34 off the list. Not many players wore it, of course, because it was retired. A handful of guys, Mark Lee, Dennis Powell, Billy Bates, Mark Ciardi, and John Henry Johnson are the five players who wore the number after Raleigh Fingers last wore it. Remember those names for bar trivia, folks, once bar <laughs> trivia is back up and running, because that's, that's about the only place where those five names are going to come up ever again. So Raleigh Fingers goes to you, Will, 34 off the board, Fortunately, no one else I was thinking about wears that number. Do I got it? I think I have to go modern pitcher again. He's close to healthy at this point. Number 46 is still available. Corey Knabel is going in my bullpen. I'm going to take number 46 off the board. Yeah, I love Knabel. Another guy who people forget just because last year sort of didn't happen for him. So it's been a while since we've uh, got to experience and enjoy how good he is. But definitely worthy um especially for this exercise here i'm gonna uh if i'm not mistaken i feel like k-rod is available right so k-rod is available i think he may have wore more than one number as that's what i was getting at yeah what do we have mouse k-rod wore 75 first and switched to 57 i thought the order was reversed but he started at 75 and switched to 57 so I guess Mitch Stetter stopped wearing it. 75 is where, what he wore at the Mets, right? I think so. He's always had, yeah, I mean, he's been a career reliever, so he's always had the high numbers, like real high numbers. Yeah, let's take him at 57. Either way, it's not going to make a, much of a difference here. There's probably a case for Chase Anderson to be one of the last pitchers on the roster. Probably, yeah. Yeah, he had a nice couple of seasons, sure. I do kind of want to take Corbin Burns. I think that's that's betting pretty big on things we just haven't seen in terms of a full season's worth of results. But I think Corbin Burns is where I'm going to go. I'm probably leaving quality on the table somewhere, but I want to bet on the future again when it comes to this pitching staff. Wow, you're going to win a lot of fans on Twitter, Derek. <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of people telling me I'm an idiot too. No, 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 and the people like Burns, rightfully so. 
I'm I'm a firm reliever that he's going to figure it out and have a nice career as a starting pitcher as well. I know a guy who I, I mean maybe you picked him earlier since we we've been doing this now for a little while. But did you take get? Uh, did you take seventeen? No, seventeen no, still. So out we, there. we spend so much time talking about the guy. Here we are. <laughs> Feeling out the whole, we're picking Corbin Burns and and uh, you know whoever else before before we're getting to him. But sure, sign me up. Put him at second base for for me. Yeah, that, that one was kind of a connect the dots moment. I think where he said, "Okay, well, no one wears the number. I need a second baseman. This yeah. works out pretty well." I think that absolutely makes sense. Probably a guy that hits ninth on the team that you built, but at the same time. Uh, you know, handles second base very capably, and uh, definitely, definitely gives you the the full Wisconsin feel uh, on the roster as well. Uh, I'm going to go young here again, not with pitching though. I'm, I'm going to take I'm going to take my DH at this point. And if I'm not mistaken, number 18 is still on the board, right? Yeah, I think you know where I'm going with this one. I'm taking Keston Hira. I think Keston yeah, Hira is going to be a special man. player. Like this, <laughs> that's a good one. This is like going to be a great great spot for him because he can DH. I can leave Ricky Weeks at second base if I want to. Um, Keston here is one of those guys that I think he's good enough with his hit tool to win a batting title. We saw more power than we ever expected last year as well. Uh, going to be a very important player for the franchise in 2020, but also for the next five-plus years, probably a lot longer too. Seems like the kind of guy that might be getting one of those long-term extensions at some point in the somewhat near future. Oh, for sure. That was going to be my last pick, sleeper, be my DH type of thing. But you stole that. Um, some really cool, some cool names though who wore that who wore that jersey. A lot of guys. Um, I'm not sure. I guess how cool they are. Uh, to some fans, <laughs> they're, they're cool to hey, us. Yeah, they're cool to to us. But I didn't. I wasn't the one watching Jose Hernandez strike out 200 times. So oh, I was watching that. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe not cool to every not not cool to everybody listening, but cool to me um in that same vein wes holmes um sean markham chris davis wow yeah a couple of fun names that number did have a good little run from at least 08 to 2015 when jason kendall sean markham and chris davis were wearing it yeah i mean those are players that you (laughs) you certainly remember i'm not going to say you remember fondly but (laughs) but you remember them um you you certainly remember them um 23, is that an available number for me? 23, I'm trying to remember. No, if 23 is gone because I took Ricky Weeks. Oh, yeah, that's right. That, that, that. See, I, I asked because I was looking at um, I was looking at Ted Simmons, and I was like, okay, you know, need a catcher. He's probably the next guy on my list um, that, I, that I like. Um, if I were to make a sort of an all Brewers team, he's probably the second catcher behind um behind Luke Croy so and and uh, Dave Nielsen was already his number was already taken so couldn't go there so I'm gonna have a tough time trying to find out um who that next guy is gonna be for me in the meantime I'm going to uh take Axford John, John Axford John Axford okay I didn't I didn't see that coming at all you, you seem to really like John Axford yeah, man, I do. I have a thing for for like relief pitch. I have a thing for the closers and the Brewers history, man. You have some like really good closers. Say what you will about the starting pitching, but you can't beat this list. Like, find me a better franchise that has had its pitching woes that could put that could that could rack up these 
closers like this. I mean, it's it's really it's really <laughs> remarkable. I mean, like to mark on the organization's lack of stability and quality for so many years. <laughs> All the turnover. <laughs> yeah, trying to flip closers for future help and and then unearthing new ones. I mean, we crapped on Bob Wickman, but geez, I mean, even Bob Wickman, he's probably he's down there on the list, obviously, but. Shoot. I mean, hey, you may end up with somebody like Dan Kolb, so. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to do that. Like, even <laughs> with my fantasy background and, and chasing saves as a fantasy baseball player, uh, the thing that always struck me with Dan Kolb was how low his strikeout rate was. Like, yeah, man. You don't see relievers come in with uh, strikeout rates as low as what Dan Kolb was doing at his peak, we'll call it, with the Brewers. No, you don't want that. No. <laughs> do not want. Uh, I'm looking looking at the young pitching again, trying to come up with a, a good fit. And I think Freddie Peralta is going to be the answer here for me. 51, I mean, it was also worn by Trevor Hoffman. I think you could certainly argue that even though he was a brewer for a short time, that maybe you'd want Hoffman in that spot. But I'm thinking of Hoffman not at his peak with the Padres. I'm thinking of end of career Trevor Hoffman, who's a great guy and, and someone that, you know, you, you would like to draft, but you can't because I think Peralta's future is more exciting to me than the two years that Trevor Hoffman spent in Milwaukee, even though his overall body of work with the Padres was outstanding. So I'm going to cross my fingers and take number 51 off the board with Freddie Peralta. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, the line of thinking that I had with um, taking uh, John Ashford just because, yeah, his, I don't I don't really want his whole career, but yeah, I'll take his couple of years with the Brewers. I think th- those are good enough for me to, to jump on. Had a nice historic game, too, in 2011. So sure. You know, why not? Aramis Ramirez, that's the guy who I'm thinking of right now is his is his is his number still available for us it is number 16 uh so yeah you're not gonna go george guitarist for your catcher um no i'm not i'm going to pass on that option (laughs) i'll I'll stick a ramos ramirez on my team yeah we got a few bench spots here so you can definitely shuffle things around Uh, number 16 more recently uh, worn by ben gamel last season and domingo santana for four years as well uh, Solomon Torres, also among the many, many, many closers the Brewers have had over the years, wore number 16 back in, in 2008. All right, I got one more active pitcher spot. This is bad. This is a, a mark of an organization that did not develop nearly enough pitching. Uh, you took 37 off the board with Dan Plesak, which really, really kind of ruins my future strategy. All right, I'm going to use the loophole again because I have to. I'm going to take Adrian Hauser. He wore 47 back in 2015. Doesn't wear anymore, but I want the player. I think he's, again, got a bright future, and I think he can kind of work between both roles, starter and reliever, as needed for my team. So 47 is now off the board, and Adrian Hauser is my eighth pitcher. I like it. Um, I've said this before on this podcast, but you know, people love Woodruff, and rightfully so, but... I, I also take Hauser. I think I think Hauser his numbers are not too far off as far as the rates and the ratios go, um, than uh, than Woodruff's. So there, there's a difference there. Don't get me wrong, and it's pretty big. But um, as far as totals go, but the the rates uh, I think they're closer than people think. So I like Hauser. I think he has a bright future and a lot of like when people think about the 
Brewers' ability to develop pitchers and who's coming through the pipe recently, people tend to forget that uh, he has a lot of say in um, how people view, I guess, their development of young pitchers as far as starting pitchers go. So I like it there. Um, not somebody that I had necessarily targeted, but hey, uh, good for this draft. Man, you're going to make me go with like Jose Valentin or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about guys who strike out a lot. You know, yeah, give me him. Sure, he could play a bunch of positions for me. He's, he had nice. He had a nice run with the Brewers. All right, knocking off number fifty-four. He wore that at one point. You could do that, uh, or you could take two and and wipe out uh, a few other more interesting players that one of us might want to draft. No, I'm going to go with fifty-four just because we're we're getting to a point where I may need a couple of guys. Yeah, I, I appreciate your courtesy, not because I have someone from the two list lined up, but I think we are going to need it. Um, I'm going to take number 30 off the board, and if, if people at home are like, why aren't they taking Moose Haas? Uh, I'm not going to take him because I don't have a pitching spot left, but I want a manager who's going to manage the team correctly. Uh, so number 30, Craig Council, is uh, going to manage this squad that I put together, Will. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Is he going to play for you, too? Is he going to play a little in, in the infield? Yeah, I think, I think, gonna I think, it for you I think if the game goes extras, I think he gets in it. And, you know, if we need a, a clutch hit at the end of the game, I think I think he could pull it off for us. Nice. Nice. Good for you. Um, it's a smart pick. Puts me in a bind, I feel like, as far as managers go. Uh, as far as the ones that I, I, I would like to see um, lead my squad, if you will. Well, you, you know, you could you could go Ned Yost. Yeah, I was actually going to do that right now. I'm going to kind of just get that done with. Um, I'll go with Ned. Sure, make it interesting. So number three is off the board with your Ned Yost selection. Shoot, he may be my catcher. Uh, that, that's that's the funny thing about this. Like after Council is is Ned Yost actually the the manager you would really want in franchise history? I mean, I mean, Phil Gardner has the most. He's the winningest manager, but I just know. That's just bringing the lunch pail to work every day for the longest amount of time and, and, and doing well enough to not get fired, which is sure you know, a skill. There's something to be said about that. Um, but yeah, I just know. So yeah, I guess is, is Yost. That's a good question. I mean. Probably. Well, we'll save that one for a future episode. Yeah. That's a, We've managed to talk about that next week. <laughs> yeah, this is this is turning into a, a mammoth episode. But uh, if you're still with us, thanks for listening through to the end. Uh, so you still got a catcher. I got to get three bench players before this thing wraps up. Eleven not being there is really frustrating because there were a few different guys who I thought could have fit there. I blocked myself on 18 by taking Hira. So you know Mike Mustakis goes undrafted today because both numbers he wore with the Brewers have been selected already so that's kind of frustrating I, I like the versatility he could bring to the infield all right number two still available i got it all right i got a bench player i'm going to take digging into the uh early part of the 2000s actually all the 2000s for the most part bill hall for number two for the brewers could play a few spots fun player at his peak hit the very memorable walk-off home run on mother's day with his mother in attendance uh, that was actually the day I graduated from college, so I was watching that game with my family like after my college graduation ceremony. So that that's kind of like sticking with me as like an all-time favorite Brewer memory. So Bill Hall is going to be my first bench player. Nice. I like it. Taking advantage of the ability to use number two since I didn't steal it with uh, Jose Valentin. So nice job there. I'm going to go with Yasmani Grandal at number t- uh, jersey number 10, and he'll play catcher for me. 
that's a huge value. I mean, I know his time with the Brewers was very short, but he's the other guy you think about as a, a catcher in the org. I think you're right that Ted Simmons comes to mind as probably the, the second best Brewers catcher behind Lou Croix, in part because of longevity. But if you imagine a scenario in which Grandal would have signed an extension with the Brewers or if he'd signed with them as a free agent this winter, he probably would have pushed his way up into that conversation in the next couple of seasons. He's that type of player. Yeah, I mean, Grant Grandall, that one season is good enough for me. So completely agree. There's not there's not a whole lot of depth at catcher at the history as far as guys who did it for a while at a high level for the Brewers in their in their history. So I'll take the one year with Grandall and hope for the best with that. What do I do here, Will? What's my what's my play? You can't even take Richie Sexton. I can't even take of, uh, eleven. Seven's gone. Eight's gone. Ten's gone. We didn't draft a number nine yet, did we? Yeah, number nine still available. I'm looking through this list. None of these guys have been drafted. I'm going to take my second bench hitter. I'm going to take Gene Segura. Number nine comes off the board. Another modern player, but a guy that we've seen who can play both middle infield spots capably. Even this spring with the Phillies, I saw him playing some third base in the Grapefruit League. Um, a brewer for four years, but uh, just a good all-around player. Nice first little bench infielder. I'm going to go a little bit weird. I'm going to go a little bit of the opposite and take a guy who just had a short burst with the Brewers. I'm going to go number 45, Carlos Lee. Ah, El Caballo. Nice. Yeah, he was fun at his peak. Uh, I think people people might kind of forget his time in Milwaukee because most of his career came with the White Sox and the Astros. Uh, he finished with 358 career home runs. It's a lot more than... I would have expected. I think the thing that I always liked about him too is he had a sneaky ability to steal bases. He was never fast, but he was a smart base runner. And that was reflected in some of the stolen base totals we saw, uh, including a 13 steal season with the Brewers in 2005 and a 19 steal season split between the Brewers and Rangers in 2006. You know who he sort of reminds me of? Avisel Garcia a little bit. As, just as far as like what he could do, I, I'm not saying that they're they're complete mirror, they're not mirror images of each other, but I don't know, man. Just there's there's certain like when you say stolen bases and like the sneaky ability to kind of do that with his size, still be able to hit uh, you know 25, 30 home runs at a consistent basis. Garcia hasn't been able to quite do that at at that. Don't get you know he hasn't been able to do it at Carlos Lee's pace, but he has the ability to. So I just I see some similarities there. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm completely with you there. I think uh, if Statcast had been a thing back then, Carlos Lee may have been the guy that we looked at and said, "Oh, he's actually in the top half of the league in sprint speed at, at yeah. peak." Maybe that was something he was yeah. doing where it was just deceptive speed because you know he wasn't small, but uh, certainly a lot of power and uh, a nice player uh, as well during his time in Milwaukee and first career overall. Uh, one more bench player for me. Number six is still out there. I believe you took Jeff Cirillo at number 26 and looking through my notes, no number six was drafted. So I'm going to take Lorenzo Cain. I'm going to stick with the, the modern bench, but Lorenzo Cain, of course, a premium defender in center field, a guy who can take a walk, he can hit home runs, he can steal bases, he can do everything. And I think that's what you want for somebody on your bench. So now I've got the, the difficult problem to solve. Like, do I actually play Cain over Gomez? Like that might be something I'd have to consider. That's a great conversation, I think. Probably go with Gomez, right? But it's tougher than people would think, like, we're off the top of your head, I feel like. 
Yeah, I think Gomez so. has the moments, you know, in, in franchise history, right? But I mean, if especially if Kane puts together another a, a solid, a nice rebound season, and if in whatever twenty twenty becomes, yeah, it's you'd be hard pressed to, you know, find a, a clear consensus on that. I feel like. A lot of recency bias uh, on my roster. Your roster is is loaded up now. You do actually have a full twelve hitters, you know, nine starters, three bench, eight pitchers. It could be any mix of starters and relievers. We each have our manager. Let's go one more. We've gone this far, so let's let's each take one more player. I'll let you uh, choose your last player first. Will? Yeah, I'll go with McGee. All right, so you're taking Casey McGee, number number fourteen. Uh, Casey McGee had a, a pretty wild career. Spent some time in Japan, uh, came up, 2010 was the best season, 23 homers, 104 RBIs, hit 285 that year, 337 on base. That's a uniform number that as you look through 14, Hernan Perez wore it for five seasons, uh, Russell Brannion wore it briefly, Dave Nilsson wore that for a little while as well. Uh, it, it's it's bounced around a lot. There hasn't really been like a definitive number 14 in Brewers history. Mm-mm. No, and it's, that's kind of weird too. Like when you think about it, you would just assume that that would be one of those numbers, but it's not the case. Not the case at all. All right, one more pick for me. Uh, number twenty-one is still out there. Uh, yeah. All right, Travis Shaw is going to be my last bench player. I, I hope for his sake. I hope he can bounce back uh, you know, with the Jays in twenty twenty. I, I think he's one of those players because things unraveled on him so quickly. People are going to be a little bit dismissive of how good he was for his first two seasons as a starter in Milwaukee, you know, back to back where he was uh, worth at least three wins. And that's, that's really good. If you can bounce back to that level for a couple more seasons in Toronto and, and elsewhere, I think that might change the perception of Travis Shaw broadly, but I think there's always going to be this sort of air of disappointment because of just how quickly uh, things fell apart for him in 2019. I'm completely in agreement with you. I thought it was kind of interesting too, like when um, Brock Holt was going to the Brewers or deciding on going to the Brewers. Um, he he was asked about you know just because of his closeness with Shaw, just if, if Shaw had anything to say. And Shaw spoke very highly of the clubhouse, which kind of resonated with Craig Council, just because, like you're saying, he didn't quite end um, his ending with the Brewers wasn't quite as good as his beginning, of course. So. Definitely resonated with Council, um, who was happy to hear that. All right, so I'll post the rosters probably. You know, I think we'll probably write something about this at some point and explain more behind our selections because rehashing them one by one here probably isn't going to help a lot of people out there. But hopefully it was a fun exercise. It's one that you can do uh, with friends if you want to. You can change the rules a bit. You can say two players for each number if you want to keep the pool open a bit more. Uh, We were looking at the baseball reference uniform numbers page for the Brewers to get every player who wore every number in franchise history. So hopefully it was a lot of fun and a nice trip down memory lane. Uh, you can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. And again, you can scoop up a subscription to The Athletic for 40% off at theathletic.com slash 422. We're still cranking out stories for all the major sports, even uh, while sports are on hold for a while. So hopefully uh, the pods and, and the stories that we're putting together are a good way to uh, kind of escape from the day-to-day norms at this point. If you're enjoying the show and you're listening on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We'd greatly appreciate it. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.